When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Famously described by the New York Times as the poster boy of zero-waste living, floral artist, zero-waste expert Yost Baker wants to design out waste. He believes in using nature's systems to work in harmony to build a greener future. I'm Lottie DL, a sustainability expert and the host of the How to Save Our Planet podcast. I am so excited about this episode and you are going to learn so much. So let's just get into it. Thanks so much for joining us today, Yoast. Before we get stuck into your amazing work, I wanted to rewind back to when you were growing up. Did you grow up in a zero-waste household or how did you get into sustainability? Well, growing up in uh, the late 70s, early 80s in the Netherlands, there was a lot of uh, discussion about uh, waste reduction, recyclability. You know, we uh, were saving newspapers to make bricks that we would then you know, compress into bricks and then use in the fire. And, um, you know, there was a lot of discussion at schools about uh, recycling and, and waste to energy and that sort of stuff. So that is probably where it all came from, really. But it was actually a thing that really I remember really vividly is I had a little cigar box filled with little bits and pieces that I would find when I go my dad who had a huge ve- vegetable patch on the other side of the canal so i would go with him in the afternoons and he'd weed and plant and do whatever and i'd just be playing and and collecting all these like old delftware old pipes old bits of glass spoons you know stuff that was like really old and um i remember dad saying that the reason why this is here is because farmers used to hundreds of years ago travel to the nearby cities and and basically shovel all the manure and all the waste out of the streets and bring it back to bring fertility back to their soils. So that probably um, stuck with me. And there was also, yeah, um, just people in our life that talked about it and thought about it. And yeah, it's, it's- I suppose that's where that come from. It's amazing. It's it, like hearing that you kind of are like, yeah, in the 70s or 80s, recycling was taught in schools and this is just what we did in the Netherlands. It just sounds so futuristic and something that I can't even imagine. It's only just starting to really start happening in Australia today. So, it's just amazing that that's just kind of the way of life and just how you were brought up. So, how did you go then adjusting to living in Australia without these kinds of systems and the education and the knowledge and the, yeah, this appetite for learning about sustainability and practicing it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm, a, I, I, I'm a, I observe, so I'm always observing what's going on around us and, and you know, it just doesn't make sense what we do. So just because everybody does it doesn't mean that it's it's the correct thing to do, you know. So I've always just wondered the way we go about life is really all upside down and the way that we, you know, just throw stuff out and we buy things and, you know, especially in the last 10 years, that, that idea of, you know, needing to walk with a takeaway coffee cup in your hand and, yeah, that whole thing is just 
on steroids now, that whole takeaway packaging thing and COVID made it even worse. And I don't know, it just doesn't make any sense to me on any level. And not, not only from a waste point of view, but also from a respect for the food. I think we've become so disconnected from our food and have so little respect for the food. I mean, the idea of a coffee is is about a social interaction, right? It's about sitting sitting around with a group of people discussing whatever it is. Or it's a, it's a, coffee was about a social connection. And I cannot get my head around how we now suddenly all walk around as individuals with takeaway coffee cups. And and you know, an example I often use is almost all coffee is still hand picked. You know, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but it would be at least 90% of the world's coffee beans are still hand harvested and then, you know, fermented and, and, and picked and then roasted, small batch roasted. And and then yet we put it in this plastic lined takeaway coffee cup. And yet we wouldn't think of doing that to wine. Uh, you know, that idea of drinking wine out of a plastic cup is really foreign. No, we can, but yet most grapes are picked by machine, you know. M- Fermented in huge industrial processes, and it just doesn't make any sense to me that we go about that way. And I think it's actually that's part of like the big problem is that we've become so disconnected and disrespectful of what it is that we're consuming and eating. That it, yeah, I, doesn't you know? I just don't feel good drinking a coffee like that. No, I'm the exact same. My pet peeve is when somebody says to me, it tastes better when it comes from a plastic coffee cup. And I go, in what way? What what is going on with your taste buds? But I think it's really interesting how you're talking about this disconnect from our food because I think one of the biggest benefits that I saw on the contrary during COVID was when people started gardening again and they started, I don't know, experimenting with seeds and seedlings and kind of growing different things in their backyard. I know for my roommates, they were astounded that you only got one coffee, uh, one cauliflower, sorry, from a whole bush and that it took so long to grow. And it's just these things. And yes, we didn't have a very fruitful crop, but at least it taught you and it was kind of showing you and demonstrating the amount of effort and the resources that go into growing that one food that so often goes wasting, wasted. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we're, we're suffering an, a, a pandemic of malnourishment in the Western world, but it's actually a, a, a global problem. And that's because we've mined all the world's soils of, of everything. There's nothing left in the soils and it's hidden through our use of synthetic fertilizer. Like we used 500 million tons of synthetic fertilizer made from gas last year to achieve the yields that we have achieved. Now that provides nitrogen, which plants love, but it doesn't provide manganese, iron, zinc, um, you know, all the trace elements that we need to flourish. And so to me, and, and this was this was highlighted in the 1930s, Dr. Weston Price, who was one of the founders of the American Dental Association, became became aware of, you know, one in two teeth in the United States in the 1910s was affected with a tooth cavity, jaws were narrowing, so the fa- our faces weren't developing wide enough to hold all of our teeth, so teeth had to be removed in order to make room. And at the same time, the Geographical Society were coming back with images of the Hudson and Australian Aboriginals and uh, Eskimos in Alaska that had what seemed like perfect jaws, perfect teeth. And so he convinced the American Dental Association to fund a research trip to go to places where uh, populations hadn't been affected by a modern diet. And so 
his goal was really where the food hadn't changed for at least a thousand years and really um, critical work and work that has inspired me. And they, they uh, ended up doing that over an eight-year period, going all over the world. And um, in summary, in 1934, he wrote in his book, uh, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, America is overfed and undernourished. And he uses these trained Aboriginals as an example. He found a group living not far from Byron Bay that um, in, in a group of over 300, he could not find one tooth cavity. They were totally immune to tooth decay. And he was obsessed with their diet and they ate you know, hundreds of different foods. But more importantly, the total nutrient density of their food, they had 17 times more zinc in their diet and 15 times more magnesium. And, you know, uh, it was the combinations and, you know, certain foods were eaten with other foods. And, and he, he had so much respect for their understanding about what you needed to do to achieve, you know, a good diet and, and live healthy. And to me, that's why I think if we as a society don't embrace zero waste, we are doomed as humanity. The human race is doomed if we don't put back what we're currently throwing into landfill and so we can't, we've got this system that has really only existed for the last 100 years, um, become ubiquitous in the last 50 years, that we are in an extraction model. So we're growing food, using gas to uh, reapply fertilizer, not really re, re, um, storing those soils with everything that we've taken. So every bale of wool, every bottle of wine, every corn cob, every you know, ton of wheat you're extracting, you're mining from soils. And, you know, that when we did that hundreds of years ago or when the Romans did that, you know, the Romans were growing wheat around Rome. But eventually they failed because they had to find fertile soils further and further. Eventually they were growing wheat in northern Africa because they had pretty much taken everything from the soils and they had to basically travel for weeks to get to find fertile land. And we somehow think that, oh, no, we're so smart that we can avoid that Nature doesn't work like that. Nature is a closed system. And I think, to me, the solution is so simple. We need to go back to a closed system. And we already have all the nutrients that the soil so desperately needs, but we're currently just putting them or treating them as waste. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think what I love and really admire about you is that you're all about showing and doing, like demonstrating that these physical, through your physical projects, that the impossible is possible. Because just hearing all of that now, I'm going, yes, this all sounds great. But I can imagine that for so many people, they go, well, gosh, you're dreaming. That's never going to happen. But you actually built a greenhouse in the middle of Melbourne City to demonstrate this vision that we don't have to live with waste, that you can kind of almost pretty much design out waste through your future food system. So can you explain to our listeners, without physically seeing it, they can go and have a look, but without physically seeing it, what is it? So it's the, the, the most of the world's waste is generated by us, by us living in our homes. And I believe that that is the best opportunity to also start a revolution by changing our homes to be productive to be food positive, to be positive in energy and water. So when humans occupy a building, we currently really just look at houses as shelter. We don't really look at houses being anything more than that. So I think that that is a really wasted opportunity. Houses could be so much more. They could be habitat for not only us, but they can be by redesigning the walls and the roof. We could They could be habitat for so many other insects and, and mammals and birds. 
And those surfaces can also be used for harnessing energy and food. Now, the house that we built at Federation Square was 89 square meters, or that was the footprint. And I think it was about a third of the average Australian home. And we grew more than enough food for a family. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And again, uh, inspired by that indigenous um, work that was studied by Western Price, but not only by Western Price's work with Australian Aboriginals, others, we had things like yabbies and, and a tuba called a tiger nut, which was a really important um, staple for Australian Aboriginals. But we had literally hundreds of different species of plants and we were harvesting all different kinds of crops and you know we had trout and yabbies and barramundi and crickets and snails and you know freshwater mussels and along with you know beans and corn and uh, you know lime and apples and pears and it just i think seeing it on such a tiny scale but seeing it on mass it was the ultimate example of a of a biodiverse system and then when you walked into this building it smelled like you walk into a rainforest. It sounded like you were in a rainforest. You had water pumping everywhere. And, and the thing that blew people away was that it was completely off-grid. So the house really functioned off solar and the solar during the day would charge the batteries and then the batteries would, would allow us to use power at night. It's amazing. It's so exciting. And I think it's that whole thing that when it comes to sustainability, you think as a city dweller there's only so much you can do. You can't live in the middle of nowhere and off the grid, but you actually can do so many things within your home to regenerate and to give back to the planet, but also to help yourselves to kind of create these. I don't know if you're a lover of beans, then grow your own and do all of these things. You don't need to be heading down to your supermarkets to do it. But I think it is, yeah, it's. It, it has its challenges, I can imagine, creating the future food system. What What were some of the hardest things about the project? Well, I mean, one of the things that uh, I set myself a really strict criteria around building materials. So build, building materials had to be 100% recyclable, easily recyclable. So I didn't use any PVC in the building, really difficult to recycle. Um, no toxins. So I wanted, I love this idea that in future we can buy a house that's certified organic. So why we're obsessed with eating organic food, well, the air that we breathe has so much more impact on us than the food that we eat. So we really should be considering the materials that are around us as being organic as well. So we used organic straw to make all the lining for the inside compressed um, straw. And the walls were all finished with a natural lime-based paint. And, um, yeah, it really – I was determined to have like zero VOC. So, you know, the Western world, 90% 90, 90 of our time in the Western world is now spent indoors in our indoor environment. And we know that it's really harmful to us because the indoor air that we breathe is much more harmful to us than even living next to a freeway and breathing the outside air. It doesn't seem like it, but it is, you know. So we 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 need, really need to start thinking critically about what we put into our homes, and having literally, I don't know, we had 
at one stage over 35 species of plants growing indoors. That could be an Antarctica fern that's been around for 300 million years and that fern that was stuck in the bedhead and we had them upstairs, that exudes a microbiome. So it actually they breathe out a bacteria, a, a microbiome that we then breathe in, but we've, been, we've coexisted with these plants for millions of years. So you, people used to just say, like, we're spending time here, I just feel great. And I think it's because of that airborne microbiome that you, that's one of the reasons why you feel so good walking through an old growth forest or sitting next to a, a creek or a waterfall or something like that, you know. And we had things like um, the tiles on the floor were made from recycled concrete. And the reason why I had a concrete fl- tiles on the floor was because that's the only form of heating. We had hydronic heating that was powered by um, solar in the floor, but also the floor was grounded. So we had copper wire below the grout line. And that meant that when you were standing barefoot on the floor of the house, you were grounded. It, very similar to standing barefoot on the beach or or in wet grass. So you were constantly discharging all the electrical energy that we constantly absorb. And, and so it was multidimensional, so many different things going on. You know, things like when you have a shower, the steam was being pumped into a mushroom and the, the water that came off the heat pump from the hot water unit would then go also go into the mushroom and allowed us to grow up to 25 different species of mushrooms in the house, utilizing, again, the waste that was being generated in the house. So it could be cellulose waste. Pair of, we even did a pair of denim jeans that were, you know, were irreparable. We actually grew pink oyster mushrooms off the denim jeans. And, again, highlighting to people that, okay, we think it's a waste problem, but it's actually a food source. In nature, that would be a food source for something else, you know. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs> There is a lot going on, but it all makes sense. It's looking at kind of your home as a system and looking at everything as working together rather than looking at it singularly, I think is so valuable because it's just reframing that thinking. And I think it's such a great example for people to see, like you've got your documentary coming out, Greenhouse, which is just showing people and demonstrating to people on a mass scale that everything, nature works in harmony, nature works together. And we can do that in our homes and in everything that we do. And I think it's a really great example of that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, look, I, I really feel that we are at a, a, a paradigm shifting time. And it started about 10 years ago, but we're really in the middle of it now. And I feel that 2050, we'll look back at this period of time and say, wow, this is when we transitioned to a truly sustainable economy. And we are, and we're doing it at a really fast rate. But when you're in the middle of it, it's really difficult to see. And I'll give you an example. Like the house that I'm in, I built this house in 2006. Natural house made from straw, um, you know, that solar panels made in Sydney by BP. And um, back when BP was called Beyond Petroleum. And and we, there were 65,000 houses in Australia with solar and we just surpassed 3 million. Now, that coincides with a massive reduction in energy consumption because we are changing, like just changing from a traditional hot water unit to a heat pump. A heat pump uses one-tenth of the energy. Only 10% of houses in Victoria have a heat pump. So, you know, as the energy costs go up, because we are massively reducing how much energy we're using, the energy companies need to charge more because they still need to maintain the same grid, right? So that those costs will keep going up. and. So that means that it's forcing us to even be more 
determined to change to a dishwasher that uses less energy. An air conditioner that you buy today uses one-fifth of the energy of an air conditioner from 10 years ago. The, 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 the transition is happening so quick and I don't think we're actually really realizing it. And it disappoints me that we constantly talk about the negative side of, of global warming when we don't I just wish that we would discuss all the positive stuff that's going on about you know about our transition because I think it's a really I really believe it's the most exciting time in human history like there's never been so much innovation that's happened on all whether you're talking about fashion food you know Levi Strauss coming out and saying that by 2025 they will not sell any denim with virgin cotton all their denim jeans will be made from recycled cotton I mean that when you think about how much water and uh, pesticides are used to grow cotton, if we don't need to grow cotton anymore, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, it's just a really exciting time. No, I definitely agree. I get people who ask me every day kind of saying, you work in this industry, gosh, it must be so hard and so gloomy and so depressing. And I actually say, no, it's not. It's so great to be in this industry because you get to hear firsthand the amazing things that are happening and you get to see the innovation and you get to talk to people like yourself and you see all of the steps that are happening, it's very easy to read a couple of news headlines and to see, I don't know, that you think that recycling rates are going down or contamination or this and that. But when you actually look at it as a whole, there is so much happening and it is moving at such a fast scale. So I think it is very exciting. As a, last Tuesday, I was at a company called Bardi, which is the uh, Aboriginal word for insects, eating insects and the, the insect culture. And um, I first um first time I went and saw Phoebe and Alex was three years ago and they were working out of a six-meter shipping container growing insects and feeding food waste to insects. And I could already tell that that these guys were going to do really well. Anyway, Tuesday I visited their new site, which is this $30 million factory with 40 staff. They're turning a ton of food waste every three hours into high-value protein that can be used as an alternative for fish food. And their goal is to be in 10,000 cities in the next 10 years with this system. And within five years, they believe they'll be turning all of Melbourne's food waste into really high-value protein and fertilizer. You know, stuff that's it's happening so fast and they're getting funding so quickly because, you know, it's a sustainable alternative, you know. So there's so many examples I could talk for hours about all the stuff that's going on. No, it's amazing. More good news. It's what I want to hear. <laughs> I am conscious of time though, and I want to finish this podcast with one question for you. What is one actionable thing that all of our listeners can do tomorrow to help save our planet? <sighs> um, try and grow something. The act of actually planting a seed and growing something if you haven't done that before, it actually becomes the start of a journey for you. And it could be some Italian parsley, it could be some basil, it could be, might be some microherbs. Mushrooms. One, mushrooms are so easy. Mushrooms are so easy, you know. And I think once you start growing something, then you, you become aware of the weather. You become, you start to look around you, you start looking at plants, you start looking at seasons, you become more connected. And, I think that, that we've become so disconnected from the natural world. That's a great way to connect to the natural world. And you, then once you, once you start that journey, there's no going back, you know. So I, 
think that that's something I would definitely recommend. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's been so nice chatting to you and you can check out the new Greenhouse by Yoast documentary that is coming out very shortly. I'll put all of the links in the show notes here. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.